This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet... You can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say... You really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! This episode is brought to you by Dove. You use all the right skincare products for your face, but your body has been missing out. With new Dove Serum Body Wash, you can give your body the vitamin C glow it's been wanting, the hydration boost it's been craving, and the active skincare ingredients it deserves. It's time for your body care era. New Dove Serum Body Wash. Get Dove or get FOMO. Welcome to the Olive Podcast. I'm Janine, Olive's deputy editor and podcast host, and each episode I'll be catching up with chefs, cookery writers, and characters from the food scene in Britain and beyond. Join us each week to expand your food knowledge as our guests share 10 things we need to know about the specialist subject. And do listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where they also reveal their top cooking cheats, hacks, and shortcuts. I'm delighted to welcome Jeremy Pang to the podcast. Jeremy is a chef, TV presenter, currently with Asian Kitchen on ITV, and owner of the School of What Cookery School, which is celebrating its 10-year anniversary this year. He's also the author of the three books, Chinese Unchopped, Hong Kong Diner, and Jeremy Pang's School of Wok. Welcome, Jeremy. Thank you. What a lovely place to be. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming to our new podcast studio. Um, so today we're going to talk all about wok cooking, which is the focus of your latest book. Can you tell us a bit about the book, Jeremy, and what people can expect from it? Sure. Um, well, I guess the first thing is it's, you know, the first ever School of Wok cookbook, which is... It's sort of taken 10 years, <laughs> um, but which is really nice. I think that the whole team sort of deserves that um, that, that recognition um, or the teams, I should say, over the years. Uh, and it really is a book that embraces what we've been doing over the last 10 years at School of Wok, and that is teaching the masses about um, uh, not just Chinese cookery, but all types of Asian cookery. Um, so the, the book itself is... Uh, split up into different chapters and qu by cuisine. So you've got you know, Chinese, Thai, Singaporean, Malaysian, sort of in one, Indonesian and Pinoy, which for people who don't know what that is, is 
Filipino cuisine uh, and then Korean and Japanese as well. So it really covers quite a, a vast sort of breadth of cuisines. Yeah. yeah. And you said that previously you used to concentrate on your, your own Chinese heritage, but then you thought, you know, you, you've experienced so much other of the Southeast Asian cuisines that you wanted to bring them in. Yeah, right. And 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 actually, I, I mean, I was brought up, you know, my, my dad was the type of person that wouldn't necessarily stand there and teach you how to do something, but uh, he liked to sort of play games to get you to learn things. And it was always, well, if you're going to get good at cooking, you need to know how to eat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you it's know, a good and, motto. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that's it. You know, I, for me, I, I was always taught that way, and that was we play guessing games of what he'd put in a dish, you know, once he'd put it on the table. Yeah. You know, so you taste something and go, oh, oh, I think that's got a bit of coriander in it or a bit of ginger or whatever. And, and you know, we do that from a young age. And when we were younger, we dotted around, or my parents dotted around Asia quite a lot for, for work. Um, and so I actually never really lived in Hong Kong. I actually lived in Singapore for two years as a kid. Um, although my parents are from Hong Kong originally, we dotted in and out of Hong Kong over summer holidays um, when we were growing up. But we lived in Singapore, which gave us access to pretty much the whole of Southeast Asia. Yeah. Um, so having that influence, having so lived in those places, but also holidayed a lot around those sorts of areas, you take in a lot of eating time. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So today we're talking all about wok cooking. Um, so we'll go on to the 10 things you need to know about. And we're starting with some good advice from you, which is number one, don't just chuck everything in. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do eventually chuck everything in. But I think what I mean by that is do it with some purpose. <laughs> um, and you, if you overload a wok immediately with all of your ingredients it loses a lot of heat. Mm. What cooking, especially stir frying, is there to sort of, um, to, to allow you to change heat very quickly. Mm. So from high to low to medium, you know, just with a flick of the wok or a bit of movement. Mm. Um, so if you just throw everything in, you, you basically end up just boiling your food in a yeah, wok. exactly. And that brings us to the next thing, which is your famous wok clock. Right. Which um, I think you, you you invented. You said in the book, there's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a method that people use, but you gave it the wok clock name. Right, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah it, it's like our version of mise en place. Mm. Um, uh, but I think where it, it, it perhaps slightly differs from a, a domestic environment, in, in, you know, when you're cooking at home, is that... It, it becomes the, a round plate. You know, any round plate's good um, because you can turn it into a, a clock full of ingredients. Mm. And and you start at 12 o'clock with your first ingredient and then you, you follow all your prepped ingredients all the way round. You know, perhaps with your sauce in the middle or your rice or your noodles, whatever's going to go last or at some point. So w if you follow the wok clock, you, you never get confused once you've prepared all your ingredients. I'm a, I'm a strong believer in like pr preparing your food first before you then start cooking, unless it's something that's really, really slow cooked that you might, you might want to get on quicker. Yeah. You know, so, so that wok clock, whether it's stir frying or any type of food that, uh, or dish that requires a number of ingredients, you know, you, you can sort of set it all up and be really organised. Yeah. And I think you said in the book that um, talking about chopping, your mum was like the master chopper and your dad was the show-off, wasn't he, <laughs> in the kitchen? <laughs> yeah, right. 
I think I've got a bit of both for sure. Um, <laughs> I'd definitely like to show off, but um, but the precision in terms of finally chopping everything, finally slicing everything. Um, yeah, I do remember very vividly my mum teaching me how to use a, a knife properly for the yeah. first time. With the, the sort of the, she used used to call it a claw. I kind of call it a crab. Yeah. But um, um, but it, it's interesting how life turns around because I think it was about four or five years ago my mum asked me to brush up her knife skills. <laughs> oh no way, really? <laughs> and then your dad was just be there taking all the glory, oh, throwing yeah, everything yeah. in no. the wok. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, my dad passed away before oh, no. before I even started school of wok. But um, but uh, he would have been uh, pretty chuffed what I'm doing now. Yeah, but he yeah he was a real not just showboater, but his food was incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and you, well, you inherited that for sure. <laughs> um, tell us about wok hay because that's next on the wok list. Wok hay, yeah, wok hay. Uh, people will hear not just myself, but anyone who knows about Chinese cooking uh, mention wok hay uh, a lot. It translates literally as uh, um, wok's breath or wok's air. Um, but the way I like to describe it is if you understand how to circulate that air, that wok's air, um, or circulate that heat around your wok, mm. then that's when you become really good at uh, wok, wok cooking. The easiest way to explain that is is most people are capable of um, bringing their woks or pans to high heat to a point where you might feel like you're going to burn your food. Yeah. Um, and at that point, when you get like smoke coming off that wok, um, you know that it's hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've got this hot, smoky air that would just be sort of going, um, you know, sort of vertically up, like upwards. The skill of cooking with a wok perfectly is being able to manoeuvre that air. Okay. Um, and circulate it round and round in some way or form. So for perfect cooking, so that so the wok hay is you controlling the air and controlling the heat. Correct. Which is why actually I don't believe that it, um, wok cooking only has to be done on a gas hob. Okay. Because if you've got good wok hay, you, you shouldn't blame your tools. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, so it's, it's about like maneuvering the wok, whether using your spatula or the movement of the of your wok hand. If you know how to maneuver that wok and circulate that heat, mm. then you are a true wok master. Amazing. So the, for the next point, you're going to tell us a few of the, the techniques that you use to control the wok heat and knowing how to cool it down and circulate heat. Tell, tell us what they are. Right. So, so as I say, circulating heat is really important. There are four techniques at School of Wok that we teach to be able to uh, gain confidence in doing that, um, uh, you know, well. The first one is stirring. So I kind of, I'm, I'm like this, I, I, if I wasn't sort of going to sort of smash into the microphone, I'd probably do the actions. But the, like the, the, the first thing, you know, when you're stirring something, obviously it's a stir fry. So you've got your spoon hand in. And I always say that your ladle or your spatula needs to be pointing downwards, not upwards. All right, so pointing okay. downwards, mm-hmm. and then you need to give it a good stirring action, and don't be scared of it. You know, a good rigorous stirring action. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two uh, is folding, which is probably more efficient than stirring. So, so it's kind of like um, again spoon down, but kind of from the back from the back of the wok, you're kind of folding in and pushing through it, and that then moves your your food around, but 
also moves that heat around without you really realizing you're doing it. Yeah. The third one is a wok toss, which is the one that everyone loves to do yeah. because it, it, it looks cool, <laughs> yeah, right? It's um, drama. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, and so a, a wok toss, what it actually is, is, is a really efficient way of you circulating that heat mm. um, around your wok vertically. So where you might be stirring, it's horizontal. Yeah, so like this. If you're flicking your wok and you're yeah. and, and you're and you're doing a wok toss, then that circulation is vertical. Yeah. yeah. And then the fourth one uh, is what I call the tummy and head. Yeah. So the tummy and head is basically round and round with your spoon mm. and back and forwards with your wok. Oh, so it's like when you pat your head and rub your tummy Correct. at the same time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, so that we have a lot of tummy and head yeah, uh, yeah, analogies yeah. in the out of cooking. Yeah. But like. But that one is key. And and the tummy and the head circulates your heat vertically and horizontally at the same time. Wow. Because if you are get and when you get really good at it, you can actually do a walk toss in between. You know, so so you've got that sort of movement that you you, you can really like sort of bring out all of the that that sort of vertical smoke from the walk. You can take that out of the walk within like a split second if you're good at that sort of movement mm. yeah the simple way of explaining those four techniques and why they're useful is that each one of those techniques cools the walk walk down significantly okay so you are constantly just controlling the heat and stopping it from flaring up and correct yeah but it doesn't matter no matter what hob you're on if you whack it up to the sort of uh, uh, pretty much the highest heat as long as you're good with your wok hay techniques yeah you don't have to mess around with the hob. Cool. How, lo- how long does it take someone to master wok hay? Do you think? I think for me, it's taken a, it took, took a few years. My dad, watching my dad cook, uh, he had very good wok hay. Um, but uh, since School of Wok, that's been our job. And that is that in a, even in a three-hour class, like I th- the, most, the, the most popular classes are probably the understanding the wok classes because right. of where we came from. Um but in a three-hour class, like people get it from those four techniques. Yeah. You know, cooking three stir fries under our guidance, or even reading the book, you know, with the same sort of guidance, get, should give you confidence to to master it pretty quickly. Amazing. Yeah. Well, let's talk a bit about equipment. Um, you say carbon steel woks or cast iron are the best. Tell us about the best kind of woks to get. Sure. I mean, you know, with School of Wok, we sell all types, but the carbon steel wok is the one that you see me using all the time. And that is, it's a 13 inch round bottom carbon steel wok. Mm-hmm. Has no coating on it uh, other than a slight layer from the factory that you have to rub off because okay. it just protects, protects it, it yeah. um, from, from any moisture. Um Cast iron woks are are the original woks. So today's woks, even nonstick woks, will most sort of good nonstick woks will be made with uh, carbon steel as the actual metal, but then with a nonstick layer on top. Yeah. Uh, the the original original woks would have been cast iron, very very heavy, thick based, kind of like almost like casserole uh, pan sort of thickness. You know, um, so quite heavy. They're difficult to flick around. Yeah, yeah I was you, can't, say, you can't pick up a cast iron wok, you no. know, um, unless you're sort of incredible Hulk. And so, also, they hold hold heat as well, don't they? Yes, and they do retain heat. There's no reason why you can't stir fry with a cast iron wok. You yeah. absolutely can because it, it it takes in such high high heat and holds that heat. Yeah, but you have to be 
much more skilled with your stirring and folding mm. with a cast iron wok as opposed to a carbon steel wok, which okay. is much lighter, easier to flick around. Um, so that's why our go-to are the thin carbon steel woks. But the the thing that I think in the past has deterred people from using carbon steel woks is that you have to season it, mm. and um, you know you have to. It, it's a little bit more. Uh, uh, sort of labor intensive. It's like TLC, isn't it? It needs taken care of. Yeah, it's not dissimilar to buying a um a uh, uh, like a, a skillet, an iron skillet. Um, you know, for your omelets. So yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you have to look after it, Build don't you? Up, yeah. yeah. Well, tell us about the seasoning process. How does that work? So, so seasoning, it, as I say, it's not dissimilar to seasoning a, a, an iron skillet pan. It, the, the difference you don't need any salt um, for it, and you don't. We don't pour loads of oil in. What we do is we we take a, a you take the layer, the, the shop layer of off the wok first yeah. with it with a metal scourer, yeah, and then you uh, dry it on the hob uh, and you burn it, and and you burn that wok uh, until it it changes color all the way around. So it starts almost like a stainless steel color, yeah. and then. Um, it goes through all the sort of almost like bluey shades of rainbow colors, yeah. uh, and then it becomes like a dark gray. Yeah, um, and that bluey sheen, dark gray color needs to be seen all the way around the wok. You can. You, it's the easiest way to do it is on a gas hob to, to season your wok. You can season your wok on an induction hob, but um, uh, you have to sort of turn the wok oh, around to, wants, to, yeah, to, 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 to receive the heat. The heat. Yeah. Um, once you've done that first burn, then I take uh, like three or four sheets of kitchen paper mm. and I dab that kitchen paper with some oil, not a lot of oil, like maybe a teaspoon of oil, mm. maybe two. And then you rub that layer of oil into the inside bowl of the wok and then you burn it again. So the second time you burn it, you open all your windows, open your extractor fan on full, and then you bur- you burn it. Because there's a lot of smoke. Because it creates smoke. Yeah. You want to burn it to a point where the smoke has all gone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's so hot that um, it, the smoke has finished smoking. The right. oil's there's finished smoking. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what you're doing there is burning that layer of oil or turning it into carbon mm. um, uh, into the inside of that wok. Oh, right. Um, and if you do that all the way around the wok, you've got a well-seasoned wok. Wow. And then that, so those those two processes, that, that's your wok seasoned and ready to use. Correct. Yeah. Yes. And then the next question I was going to ask you was about cleaning, because I think that's when people sort of mess up, isn't it? Because they'll go and clean it and then suddenly you've got a rusty wok. What's right. happened? And I, I see a lot of purists <laughs> who even like comment on my Instagram posts or things saying, oh, no one, I've never seen anyone ever use detergent on a carbon steel wok and clean it like that. But what they don't realize is that the advice that I give before that mm. and the advice after that, that are actually more cru- much more crucial. Okay. And absolutely, you want to clean old food off your wok. Like, you know, you're not going to just sit it there and if you've got bits of stuff, you know, on there, you, mm. you want to clean it off. So so the best way is to to get boiling hot water and put it, pour it into your wok on the hob um, and deglaze, deglaze your wok, mm. essentially. So... Let it boil on high heat. Give it a scrape. If it's a carbon steel wok, you can use a, a metal implement, no problems. Okay. Uh, and get anything off the bottom of the wok and then pour that water away. 
um, and then wash it as you would any other kitchen equipment. Give it a good wash and then most importantly, dry it on the hob. So where most oh, people... Dry would, it off with heat. Don't just let heat. it dry yeah. naturally. High heat. So, you know, if it was, I don't know, if there's nine points on an induction hob, then, you know, seven or eight will be fine. Yeah. yeah um, but um, but, but you, you want to make sure that you put it on that hob on a highish heat uh, to dry for a minute or so. Okay. Um, until all the water and moisture has gone and then switch it off, let it cool, then put it away. Okay. A lot of people think that they have to re-oil a wok. Yeah, I thought that as well. <laughs> so if I were to explain what happens, if you if you put oil on a clean wok mm. and then put it in the cupboard, uh, that oil will go sticky and rancid. Yeah, nice. <laughs> um, it's absolutely not the right way to do it. No. So f- I think people are getting confused between the seasoning process and how to actually clean your I wok. I see, right, yeah. You're cleaning your wok is just maintaining that seasoning. yeah. We've mentioned about oil quite a few times and um, you say the oil needs to be smoking hot just before adding the ingredients. I mean, first of all, like what, what kind of oil should people be using? And do you think people are a little bit scared about taking it too high and maybe just not getting it to that? Yeah, oil... Um answer the first question is that oil needs to be high heating mm. it has, has to have a high smoking point yeah there are plenty of oils that have that the classic ones would be vegetable oil or sunflower oil yeah just quite plain right plain no, no, no flavor. flavor like I, I'm not a fan of coconut oil for what cooking like because it because of the flavor yeah uh, rapeseed oils work uh, corn oils work yeah and um, the most healthy ones with the highest smoking points are actually um, things like uh, rice bran oil or avocado oil. Oh, really? Um, but avocado oil has a bit of flavour to yeah, it as it does well. Have a bit. Um, but it has got a very high smoking point. Wow. Uh, but it's also very expensive. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> um, is. But what oil isn't these days? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I use uh, sunflower or vegetable oil. It, sometimes in the old days, a, res- a lot of restaurants and takeaways used use peanut oils as well. Ground yeah, oils. like grounded oil. Yeah. But there's a lot of allergies yeah. uh, around uh, these days. So I, I think you try and avoid that. So, so there's those are the types of oils that you want to use. When it comes to like smoking hot, yeah, you don't want it smoking hot for for any longer than like a second. Oh, really? Before you add your ingredients, I really. See. Yeah, yeah. And what I found is that actually, if if you've taught people those four ways of circulating your heat or cooling your walk down, mm. like you could add an additional one to that, and that is no matter what hobby you have. Lift your wok up yeah, <laughs> if you're as, scared. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, get, it, know, get it away from the heat so, source. So if you're, if, you're, if you're worried at all, just lift your wok up for four or five seconds and it would lost almost all of its heat. Oh, okay. So, so you can always go back onto it when you're ready again. Mm. Take a few breaths and go for it, you know. Um, but, um, but always make sure it's smoking hot. Yeah. yeah. Because otherwise your ingredients won't want to jump out of that wok. Yeah. And you want your ing- ingredients to hit the metal and not stick. So therefore, it needs to be hot enough for that to happen. Yeah. So it's like an instant reaction. When it hits that oil, you want to hear the whoosh. Instant sizzle. Yeah. Even if you're pouring sauces in a lot of the time, mm. I say wait for the oil, the wok to be smoking hot before pouring a sauce in. 
because if a sauce goes into stir fry mm. and it doesn't instantly vigorously boil, yeah, then you don't get the same sort of sticky finish yeah. that you would when it's super hot. Yeah, so that's another mistake you think people probably make. When yeah, I think we've all got this idea, possibly from watching bad stir fry cooking <laughs> that you know it's something I think it was sold years ago as a really easy quick way to do something didn't it but I've, I've eaten a lot of bad stir fry not my own other right. <laughs> I, I can't imagine you cooking it badly um, yeah you're right it, I, and, and I do think it's a case of not just not necessarily being it, the, the technique not necessarily being broken down yeah. enough yeah, and, and yeah. people not um, recognising that there's actually like a little bit of an art to it it's not Correct. it's not super complicated but once you've mastered it yes. everything will taste better absolutely yeah I love yeah. that I mean if you took 20 people cooking the same stir fry at the same time mm. each one of those stir fries would taste and look different completely different yeah, yeah. so it's a personal thing as well <laughs> yeah. I like it yeah. <laughs> signature yeah. stir fry um, last year we were going to talk about a couple of um, of different metals on woks because you say Thin metals, good for stir fries, thicker metal, good for deep frying a braising. And I wanted to talk about this because obviously wok, people think stir fries, but then, you know, in the book you give lots of different things that you can do in a, in a wok. So let, let's right. talk about the metal thicknesses and maybe some different dishes you can make. Okay, so, so yeah, I don't know, something as simple as um, uh, a ginger and spring onion chicken, mm. just a classic stir fry, uh, would be perfect in a thin metal wok because... What you want from a stir fry is that initial, like that instant seal of meat when you when your meat's sort of hitting that that wok, or even like a seal of like the ginger and spring onion itself to flavour the oil that the meat then goes into. That's mm. important. Um, and then, but at the same time, you don't want to. Um, uh, you, you need to be able to manoeuvre the heat quick enough and change that wok hay or you, you, you use your wok hay to change the heat. Yeah. Um, so when the chicken hits the hot oil, it'll be a really high smoking point, as yeah. we talked about. After about 30 seconds of searing, depending on your hob, it may catch a little too much and then quickly start to burn. So what you want is to be able to change that heat almost instantly so that even on that high heat at the beginning of your stir fry, maybe like 30 seconds to 45 seconds later, you're bringing that high heat down to medium to high heat, continuing to cook your food without it burning. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where your thin metal comes into play because you take it away from the heat, it cools Instant down. Instant change yeah. of heat. Nice. Right. Um, so that's perfect for stir fries where you're trying to get that like like sort of slight smokiness around the food. Yeah. But um, keep succulents in whatever you're cooking. Yeah. Lovely. Uh, with thicker metal woks, you are, you can stir fry, as I say. But as we know, with thicker cooking uh, utensils and implements, you've got, um, it will retain heat for a lot longer. Mm. So if you wanted to change that heat down to medium heat, it's far more difficult to do that. Yeah. So uh, so that's why I say thicker based woks, i.e. like cast iron woks, mm. are much better for uh, braising, uh, 
for um, uh, for deep frying because you want to retain a certain right. heat for a longer period of time. Um, uh, and it is more controlled then with the deep frying. Um, uh, and also for steaming, if you're, yeah. if you're steaming stuff on top of a wok with your bamboo baskets or you're just putting a whole fish into it, again, that retention of heat will give you an even, a more even steam. Yeah. 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 So it really is an, an amazingly adaptable piece of equipment in terms of cooking techniques. Absolutely. I mean, most of my mates when I went to university, they, they owned a wok, or, but they would cook a, a, a bolognese in their thin metal woks. There's no reason you can't do that. Like, and, and I, I'm definitely a culprit of doing that once in a while. But uh, a thicker metal wok would be a better yeah, yeah, yeah. one for that. And yeah. now we're like talking about one pan cooking all the time, and you've been doing it for years. Oh, like I mean, honestly, at university, we used to do meals for two pounds a head, like three or four times a week. For, yeah, because yeah, yeah, it's it's um, necessary. You go yeah. to the butchers, ask what the cheapest cut of meat is, <laughs> and do something with it. I yeah. bet you were really popular. Oh uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Most of my mates, I'd say they wouldn't be friends with me if I didn't know how to cook. <laughs> yeah. Are you able to um, point us to some nice of some of your favourite uh, dishes from the from the book, just to Ooh. whet people's appetites? Uh, yeah, come on, let me have a little, little uh, jog, the, jog my memory. Uh, yeah, how, how long ago did you write it? Uh, I wrote it uh, about a year ago, uh, actually, because it takes time, doesn't it? You yeah. know what it's like. God, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It takes time to write these things. I mean, General Tso's chicken, the first uh, dish. It's a classic, isn't it? It's there for a reason. Yeah. I mean, it's much more popular in the US, but it's almost like... Um, the US version of a, a crispy chili beef, I right. think. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, in terms of popularity, that that's a big go-to, and I'm a big fan of that. I love the Xinjiang cumin lamb, mm. but actually, uh, as you sort of go further into the book, um, uh, the Vietnamese chapter, the shaking beef salad. I've done that on a few TV shows already, wow, and it, it's quick. It's it, but it's just so super tasty. Quite nice with the fresh, um, the sort of crunch from the salad and. Um, I've also done the, the, the dish after that, the ter- turmeric and dill fish in, in a lot of different demos because I think it's something really different, yeah. but quick and easy. Um, and surprises people that they can do that. I think because that's the thing we, that, you've, that you've proved in this podcast is, you know, for people who are thinking, oh, well, a wok's just for a stir fry, it absolutely isn't. There's just so much you can do with it. No. Uh, and there's, there's a there's a Thai whole steamed fish wow. uh, in this book and... That's one of my sort of go-tos sort of when ordering in a Thai restaurant or like if they have that sort of dish that, you know, you go for it, you've got that real lovely sort of punch of like lime flavor, that sweet sour flavor, more sour than sweet though. Yeah, lovely. Um, uh, you know, things like that people don't really think they can do in a wok, yeah. but you, you absolutely should do it in a wok mm. because a whole fish doesn't really fit in many other pans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because well, they probably inspired lots of people who've certainly inspired me. And um, Jeremy Pang's School of Wok is the book, and it's out right now. And um, where where else can people keep in touch with what you're doing? I know on Instagram you're Jeremy Pang underscore official. Yeah. And you've got School of Wok yes. um, on Instagram as well. Is there also a website? Or yeah, the, the, the best place is probably uh, the YouTube channel. Uh, oh, so yeah, School of Wok's YouTube channel. You find a lot of the recipes uh, up there. And you're producing um, quite a lot of new videos. And we're putting two videos out a week wow, really? uh, at the moment. Um, so it's pretty intense um, content production, yeah. So um, that's School of Wok YouTube channel. Absolutely, yeah. And then you'll find the website, the School of Wok website as well. If you're around and you want to have a class, then... Um, 
uh, they're pretty popular. So yeah, um, get booked in. And is there plenty of Wok Hey mastering tips on the <laughs> on the YouTube channel that I can uh, check there out? There are a whole load of uh, videos, like, yeah, obviously how to recipe videos, but there's also a whole load of what we call Doctor Wok sessions on how to it. look after your wok. So um, they're pretty popular, and they they I think they really have sort of transformed people's confidence in in actually being able to know the equipment that they're using. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for coming to chat to us today, Jeremy. Absolute pleasure, as always. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Olive Podcast. For recipes and more information, head to olivemagazine.com. Do remember to listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where our guests reveal their best cooking cheats, hacks and shortcuts. And don't forget to subscribe at iTunes, Acast, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.